right. Well, as V set us up so nicely with the scripture this morning, we are closing out strong in the Lord today. And as we do that, we're reminded of the true enemy of a believer in Jesus, and that is Satan. We know that we have an enemy who dwells in this world, and he dwells here for a specific period of time. And when that time is over, what happens? Jesus comes back. And then that person from whom the sword that comes out of their mouth will descend upon the earth, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And the imagery of that sword coming out of Jesus' mouth is such a beautiful image, isn't it? Because it is literally God's word coming through Jesus. And so this scripture in Ephesians 6 that we've been studying together is therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything that you can do, you can still do what? Stand. When you feel like life completely snow blows you down, mows you over, eats your lunch, when life comes at you hard, you know that at the very least on the inside where your spirit is, where your soul is, you'll be able to stand against it. Why? Not because of the strength you hold and bear, but because of the power and the strength of who? Of our great God living in you and living in me. In fact, the scripture paints this picture around a Roman suit of armor. And that's what we've done this past several weeks is we've taken one piece of Roman soldiers' armor a week and looked at what the scripture said about that particular piece. In fact, the scripture said this. It said, stand firm then. When you're standing, stand firm. Understand that your feet are firmly planted. You'll have the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, you'll have the shield of faith, the full body shield, with which you can extinguish all the what? The flaming arrows. Now, have you felt like flaming arrows were coming at you lately? I know I have. And when those flaming arrows come, we can stand, right? With those flaming arrows extinguished from the evil one, we take the helmet of salvation, God's protection of the story of salvation around our thoughts. And then as we talk about today, the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God, we're looking at the whole package together. We're looking at the whole suit of armor and seeing how all these bits and pieces of our faith work together and create in us a strength that we don't have. It creates in us a strength that is beyond us, outside us, a strength that we tap into and rely upon. And today in particular, as we look at that sword of the Spirit, we remember something very particular about it. That that sword of the Spirit is that one piece of the armor in the Scripture that is defined in a very special way as the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of of the Spirit. Now that may seem a little strange, especially when you take a look at an actual sword. We think about the Word of God as something that brings us comfort and peace. But if you look at an actual Roman sword, that doesn't look like something that's going to bring you comfort and peace, right? Like if I came at you when you came in the door and said, Good morning, welcome to Trinity South Naperville, you might be a little scared, right? It's not the kind of cushy, sort of comfortable feeling of the Word of God that we think of, the sword of the Spirit. 
In fact, you could even say that the sword is God's sword. It's his weapon. But as it is his weapon, he has a specific use of this weapon that we not only make use of, but in fact, at times is used for us. And I don't mean against us. I mean for us. And here's what I mean. Sometimes we're tempted to wield the sword of the Spirit as if it were a weapon against someone else. Sometimes we're tempted to use the Word of God as if it's meant to be a weapon used against another person. But in fact, the context of the sword of the Spirit and the sword that protrudes from the mouth of Jesus in the end of times is not meant to be a weapon used against other people, but against the evil one. And sometimes we forget about that as humans. We are flawed and failed and then reborn and redeemed in Jesus. Sometimes we forget and are tempted to use the word as a weapon against brothers and sisters in the faith. If not, people who have not yet come into the faith. As if to say, if we beat somebody down with the word enough, maybe they'll become a believer. But how well does that work? It doesn't, does it? What does work? Love, which is what Jesus is all about, right? And yet, from the mouth of Jesus protrudes the sword of the Spirit. So the Roman gladius was actually a sword idea that was taken from the Spanish, the Spaniards. The Romans were getting their tails kicked in warfare. This would have been two to three hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. It was a battle called Carthage, which you can look up and see how the Romans were being defeated. And in fact, after those battles in those pre-Jesus time wars, the Romans got really smart. And they started to learn that an effective sword was not a broad sword or a really long sword that you'd go into battle and cut with, like slice with. Because when you do that, you kind of expose your innards. You expose your guts on the battlefield when you do that. When you have to rise back and slice down with a big broadsword, you kind of open your chest up, right? So they determined this, the Romans did, that they would build these shields, and we talked about the shield of faith. They'd build these big body-length shields, and what they would do is they would take the shield in the left hand, and then they'd take the sword in the right hand, And they'd stay behind the shield and they would just kind of thrust out with the sword around the shield. And the thing was, is they would, it's not that they would slice, they would poke it into their enemy and then they cut. Now you didn't expect to get this gross on Sunday morning, especially Valentine's Day, right? But here's the thing, that's the beauty of the word of God. I want to just take a look with you at Hebrews chapter 4. Look at this scripture, this is so good. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, one of my favorite sections of scripture in the whole Bible. It says, the word of God is alive and active. It's like a soldier on the battlefield. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. So the, all, the whole part of you that is spiritual, it divides. And the whole part of you that is your body can be kind of like a, a, a case study on the battlefield for what it looks like to have your soul taken apart by the word of God. 
It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word dives deep into you and gets down into the parts of you that you may be hiding from God or trying to keep secret from God. The word digs deep into them and speaks into them. The scripture says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The idea is this, on the field of battle, the shield is up and the sword is thrust and it cuts and it opens up the body of the enemy. The body is open and laid bare on the battlefield. And when we encounter the word of God, something like that happens in our very souls. I want to share with you just a piece of the scripture that V read a couple of minutes ago. In fact, I'm going to take my sword of the spirit now, one of my favorite Bibles. And I want to share with you from Matthew chapter 4, a little bit of that event in the Bible where Jesus is tempted. And V, of course, just read the scripture. Let's take it a piece at a time and look at what the sword is doing here with Satan. Jesus was led by who? The spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh, right? Hungry, 40 days and 40 nights. The tempter came to him and said, knowing what the Bible says in it. This is what the tempter said. He said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan knows what is written in the word of God. And he, right off the bat, is attempting to try to get Jesus to fall into a trap because Jesus is physically weak. Jesus has had 40 days and nights without any drink, without any water. I would already have been dead by then by a week. Jesus is starving. He's filthy. He's completely physically run out. And the devil comes and very slyly says, hey, and quoting quoting scripture almost exactly, says, if you are who you say you are, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answers, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, on the very sword itself. And in that moment, Jesus was tempted to usurp his own power, to create a miracle in that moment and make a meal right in front of himself and eat it, almost as if to prove to Satan he is who he says he is. But Jesus refrains from doing that, and he simply pulls the sword of the Spirit in battle. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And then Satan quotes the scripture outright. But if you study his quotation, you'll see that he leaves some key pieces out. He says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan pulls his sword out and his sword falls a little short. This is one of Caleb's play swords and you can see, if you can see this well, you can see the end of the sword has been chewed off. Something or somebody chewed it off. But this is a play sword, like you could scratch your back with it, right? Get up into those places where you can't reach. You know, it's not going to hurt you. It's made out of foam. This is what the word of God is in the mouth of the enemy, Satan. It's pointless. The word of God in the hands of Jesus is everything. Jesus says, in an answer, he says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And in that moment, Jesus would have been tempted not to trust God, but to trust in Satan, even as he misquotes the scripture. Jesus doesn't do that. He trusts in his God. And the Bible says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. And this is interesting because the kingdom of Israel was led through the desert and tempted for all these years with the same temptations. They had the same problems Jesus had. They were hungry and they cried out for bread and God gave them bread, but they still grumbled. They had everything they needed to trust God. They had all the signs and wonders they could possibly need. But, and God proved himself to them over and over again. But Israel said, no, I don't want to follow you, God. I want my own king. And so Satan shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world and tempts him one last time. Just like Israel was tempted. Instead of God being our king, said Israel, we want a human king. And Israel went after those human kings for generations And one bad king after another, they never really learned that their true king is Jesus. He is the Messiah. Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And in that moment, Jesus was probably tempted just for a second to switch allegiances. To switch from an allegiance to his heavenly father to Satan, who would grant him the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus knew better. Why? Because his people Israel had already been down that road and failed. And Jesus knew in that moment, stay true to your father for he has stayed true to you. The Bible says, and then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. In the moments where Satan tempts you, where Satan and his minions tempt you, in the moments where you're physically weak and falling apart, in the moments where you don't know who to trust, in the moments where you're tempted to switch allegiance from the God who saves you to one who has a time in this world that's coming to an end, pull the sword Pull the sword from its scabbard and take a look at how Jesus does battle for you. That's what the sword of God does. It reveals the true nature of the heart. It opens it up and lays it bare. And so Satan's true heart is revealed right here. So when we're tempted to follow his ways and follow his stuff and do his things, when we're tempted to lash out at people in anger, when we're tempted to take something that doesn't belong to us, when we're tempted to just cut corners and get to the end of something that we're enduring, we remember that that is Satan's way. And the way of Satan has been revealed. It is selfish. It is self-serving. It is self-focused. Whereas the word of God reveals and opens this up lays it bare before the whole world and reveals it for what it is. You know, Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, and he was introducing Nicodemus to the idea of being part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says this in John chapter 3. He says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and what? Of the Spirit. So what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about the difference between flesh giving birth to flesh, the fact that we have a body that gets hungry, that's tempted to distrust, 
that's tempted to change allegiances and to serve itself instead of serving Christ and following him. We are born with this flesh that is falling apart from the first day it comes to the planet. Even as it grows and develops, it begins to decay. There is a birth of the Spirit. And what that does is it takes the parts of us that are open and laid bare spiritually and it heals them. This birth of the Spirit. Being born again in the Spirit. Trusting in Christ to do battle for you is a new birth. It's a spiritual birth. It's one that God has been planning since the beginning. Look at the scripture from Acts chapter 2. This is when Pentecost came, when the Holy Spirit fell on the first followers of Jesus. And do you remember what happened as they were sitting together in the round? What happened to the disciples when the Spirit came? They began to speak in a different language, right? And in fact, all of them began to speak in different kinds of languages. You know, Peter quotes the scripture. He pulls the sword of the spirit in this moment. He says, God has always been planning this. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, which means your sons and daughters, men and women, will share the good news of Jesus and tell it as it is. As the truth. And when they do that, people's lives will be changed. It says your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Do you feel young this morning? Do you feel old this morning? That doesn't matter. Do you have visions or do you dream dreams? That's what tells whether you're young or old. Did you have a vision or a dream last night? Throw your hand up. No, put your hand down. Even on my servants, the scripture says, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will do what? prophesy that's you your heart your spirit your soul has already been open and laid bare before God and you have seen Jesus come pour out his spirit and heal you Jesus intends to do the battle that needs to be done with Satan on your behalf so that you realize and know and accept and embrace the fact that that battle's already been won it's already been handled. And anytime you encounter that opposition from Satan and his forces, it's simply trying to hang on to something that Satan has already lost. Jesus has won. He's conquered it. He's conquered the opposition. And he's given us everything we need to be involved in the salvation of countless others. That is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. My friend, I hope your life becomes immersed in this. I pray that you find value in drowning in the Word of God and realizing that when you're there, you're actually breathing for the first time. The original word for spirit in the Scripture is breath. This is the breath of God breathing in you. So we ask him to come. We ask him to fill us up, to surround us, to submerge us in himself, to be immersed, to be made whole again and filled with his breath, having been healed.
So we put on the full armor and we make use of the sword of the spirit because that sword's been used on us in such a way that we've got new life breathing in us. Would you join me and pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to remember your word. Thank you for the chance to remember how powerful you are and how you've already done the battle in our stead, how you have made all things new and how you have given us a brand new life. God, we praise you and we thank you and we worship you. We know that there is nothing that is worth more than this, that you would come and fill us with your presence. And by your spirit we sing, we remember you.